Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Global markets have not been doing well lately. After stocks plummeted at the start of the pandemic, they shot back up, fast. But now, well, they've started to take a dive again. And so early on, people were like, well, this is natural. There's almost a bit of a human element there of like, you know, we knew it was too good to be true, is how I always kind of describe it to, at least to myself. That's Tim Kilatz, reporter and columnist at The Globe. But what has happened since has gotten a little bit scary, to be honest. I had long called for a need for a correction, um, even just talking to friends and family. But now there's no signs of the correction slowing. Uh, And if anything, there is a growing belief that it's just going to get more and more turbulent. And right now, it looks like that turbulence might be the early signs of a crash. I think people need to consider the fact that the only fix may be a recession. This is The Decibel. Tim, thanks for being on the show again. I am very happy to be back. So the last time we talked was at the beginning of the year. And at that point, people who had invested in growth stocks like tech companies were really feeling the pain. But the rest of the market seemed to be doing okay. What's changed since then? So two things have happened. One, it has spread to the stalwarts now. So it's not just kind of the startup type companies that, you know, are really young and never really had any profits to begin with. It's also the likes of Netflix. And I don't think people understand, you know, like Netflix is down 70% this year. Like it's, it's truly madness on, on some level. Mm. And it's also spreading to other areas now. So the one that's really getting hit lately and has gotten a lot of attention is crypto. You know, for a long time, you know, it was really hard to make anybody think any differently about crypto. There was still such strong demand for an underlying demand. And that too has now really come off. So the pain is widespread is how I would put it. Okay, so it sounds like it's bad all around. Even things like cryptocurrency are really feeling the hit. Is there anything that's going against this trend? Is there anything that's actually doing okay at this point? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the really strange things about this situation is that Canada is doing pretty well. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have resources here in Canada, you know, agriculture, and oil and gas. Hmm. And so it's been really disorienting because for the past few years and really the last two or three years, there was this huge ESG push to kind of only have people invest in things that were good for the environment or had good social causes behind them, things of that sort. And we've kind of thrown all those things away on some level, understandably so, because we need oil. It's really kind of hard to say that, but it's also a fact. Russia was a large oil producer and we're trying to not buy from them, we being the rest of the world. Because of the war in Ukraine, basically, where this is something that we're trying to not not pay into anymore. Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, even Russia aside, the fact that they have invaded Ukraine, Ukraine's had to defend itself and Ukraine's a major agricultural producer, particularly with things like wheat. And that has sent the price of agricultural products and commodities sky high. And that has also benefited Canada, which is, again, is this strange, strange dichotomy. And the last time we talked, you'd said that the banks were actually doing fairly well. The Canadian banks were doing okay. Are are they still okay? They're still fundamentally sound, but they have also taken a bit of a hit in the market. Not nearly as much as, say, the the tech companies, but everybody right now is not sure what to make of what's to come. Everybody's very jittery. So, Tim, we did see a bit of a crash at the beginning of the pandemic in the markets. How would a coming crash be different from that one? There isn't 
a government backstop this time. Early on, the, the pain was going to be so severe and so quick that governments, not just in Canada, but you know, the US and a lot of European countries unleashed massive stimulus. We, we spent like $350 billion in a year. And a lot of it was necessary. You know, like it, we were on the brink of, of a full-blown depression. At the same time, central banks also, you know, lowered rates to zero. This time around, they can't do that. The government already has a huge amount of debt to pay down. On top of that, central banks are doing the opposite and they have to keep doing the opposite, which is hiking rates because of inflation. So that support that provided a bit of a safety net, however you want to call it, it's not there this time. And I don't know if if people realize that. And generally speaking, who's going to feel the pain of this market downturn right now? <laughs> I was about to blurt out everyone, and then I realized that might scare everyone, but it's... But that's, it's that was your first the, instinct, though, everyone. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of the truth. You know, this could be our dot-com crash. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that crash, that correction has a name, right? It's a dot-com crash. Everyone knows what that is. I think that this is a period in time in which there's enough pain and prolonged pain that this is going to be some sort of marker. Someone involved with the podcast kind of said, well, we could call it the pandemic pop. And I was like, you know, I, I kind of like that. And again, we don't know how widespread it's going to be, but it dovetails or ties into this broader thing happening in the economy, which is that we've had this complete reset of expectations. And what I mean by that is we had kind of convinced ourselves that we were moving into a new economy and everything was going to be digital first, right? So work meetings would be over Zoom. Um, you know, exercise had moved to in-home, like Peloton. Whole lives could be done on our phones or on internet-connected devices. And what we realized now is there was actually a very uh, strong ceiling to that. And maybe that'll change over time, you know, over decades. But we're already seeing, you know, Amazon has kind of come out with numbers that's saying its own growth is slowing with online sales or retail sales. And if you look in the U.S., numbers now show that we've kind of hit a ceiling of about 20% of retail sales being online, and it won't go much higher than that. Hmm. So we have this huge structural shift of, you know, everything expected to be online versus actually the old economy kind of matters. Yeah, that, that term that you threw out there, pandemic pop, which credit where credit's due, our producer Maddie came up with yeah. that. That's, it gets to the point of like, we thought things were going to shift with the pandemic into these different parts of the economy, different businesses were going to start booming. And that's happened a little bit, but we've actually gone back a little bit to the before times in a way too. Not everything is going to be online. Not everyone is going to be work from home all the time. So that's maybe been a bit of a, a change there. To that end, you know, we have ourselves to blame a little bit for that. You know, it's, it's really easy to kind of put this on companies that were marketing the fact that their sales had been so strong and therefore they're going to keep growing for forever in terms of digital first products. But we also let ourselves believe it. There was a lot of envy going on in the market where you know, it's kind of like, oh, I have a friend who's invested in Peloton and Peloton's growing like crazy and therefore I'm going to invest in Peloton too because there's a huge psychological factor of kind of sitting on your hands while you think everyone else is getting rich and you're not. And what's happening now is there's a bit of a reset of the psychology. So it's not just expectations. It's also psychology. I think people are, once you kind of have this mini correction, people start to think, well, what was I actually even investing in? Like, did I even know anything about this company or was I just thinking about this in a very simplistic way? 
So kind of a reality check on, on the value of these companies then. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the one I always talk about, it's, it's also one that I think we can all kind of understand is Netflix. Mm. You know, in April, Netflix released its latest quarterly earnings and the stock dropped almost 40% in a single day. Like that is almost unheard of for such a kind of a stalwart. You know, it, it can happen with small companies that don't trade very often, et cetera. But all of a sudden people just realized, what were we betting on? So what were investors betting on with Netflix and why are they reevaluating that bet right now? So with Netflix, and this is similar to a lot of other companies that operate in this, this tech space, basically, you, you could say the same thing for streaming, like music streaming companies like Spotify, et cetera. The assumption was that they were just going to keep growing for forever. And it wasn't a hard assumption to make. They had posted continuous growth for a decade in Netflix's case. And then what ended up happening was they released their quarterly earnings and they shed subscribers for the first time in a decade. Hmm. And all of a sudden people are like, huh, interesting. And so then people drill into, well, why is that happening? And there's probably two main drivers. One is that there's been a saturation of Netflix in its major markets. At this point, it's been around for so long that if you've wanted Netflix, you probably have it already. So eking out that what we call the next marginal subscriber is a lot harder. And then on top of that, there's also competition now. Disney Plus is out. Hulu, all these streaming companies are starting to kind of hoard their own content for themselves, whereas a lot of them used to make it available on Netflix. And so all of a sudden, consumers or users are starting to reevaluate, like, do I really need five of these streaming services? Why is this happening now, though? Like, why are investors questioning this at this point in time? A lot of it, honestly, is interest rates. Um, on some level, it's almost hard for me, even me to believe that something so simple as interest rates starting to rise or the expectation of rises um, or hikes um, could change this. But I think if you had to really drill into what it means is that people realized we're reverting back to the way things were in some level. And no one knows how much we're going to revert back, but it was a reality check for us. So let's bring this then back to the wider stock market. So what impact does a drop in a more stable company like Netflix, what impact does that have on the rest of the market then? Again, it's probably a psychological factor. When markets move so quickly and so violently um, in such a short period of time, it's really hard to decipher what's going on. Um, and I think that's where we actually can get into trouble when you try to make a simple answer out of something that has just happened. But what has really um, spooked everybody now, I would say, is that a lot of these smaller tech-type companies, a lot of their investors were relying on the growth that the stalwarts had been putting up as proof that these new up-and-comers could grow at the same pace. That's at least my interpretation of it all. So then what happens is when the likes of Netflix all of a sudden stalls, and now Netflix has stalled too, Shopify has stalled too, it makes everybody realize, oh, not everything can grow forever. And then it just has this huge cascading effect throughout the market. You know, everyone wanted to go work at Shopify for a while. Now, all of a sudden, employees at Shopify are seeing all their stock options or, you know, restricted share units fall by 50% or more. And that is one, taking the, the sexiness out of tech. But two, you're probably going to see job losses. A lot of these startups can't keep burning cash the way they were. And that means they have to let people go. 
Let me ask you about inflation, because we're talking a lot about it these days. Uh, in March, inflation reached like a 31-year high in Canada. It's at 6.7% now. How does that factor into the current market turbulence? Can you connect those dots for us? Inflation is pesky, <laughs> is how I would put it. And once you have inflation, it's really hard to calm it or to stamp it out. And it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Goods or the cost of your wheat for your bread, if you're a bakery, starts to go up. So you can kind of eat that rise, um, <laughs> using the term eat for bakeries, <laughs> probably not the best, but well you, done, know, yes. you, yeah, <laughs> you can absorb that cost if you're the bakery for a little, a little period of time. But eventually you probably have to pass it on to your consumers. And then what ends up happening is that type of effect ripples through the economy in, in small ways. But what ends up happening is that everybody starts to expect that prices are just going to go up everywhere. And you get into this weird mindset where people expect prices to go up. So they start hiking prices of their own prematurely. There's actually a big psychological effect to inflation. And what we learned during the 1980s when there was just really ugly inflation that just would not go away, the only way to really stamp it out is to just jack up rates. And what jacking up rates really does is it cools the economy. And it effectively makes everything harder to do. When rates go up, it becomes much more expensive to borrow money. So therefore, if you're going to borrow money, you know, that home renovation you're maybe going to borrow money for just becomes unworkable. You know, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. So hiking rates really cools demand. The new factor in the market right now is that people are starting to wonder, well, if you have to cool demand to calm all this craziness right now, will that just lead to a recession? There's a lot of talk and a lot of hope that we can have what's called a soft landing. And that's kind of central banker speak for we moderately calm things over time. The problem is it's very hard to do. Hmm. And so like we're seeing right now in the markets where you have these huge corrections in a single day, like with Netflix, for instance, the fear is that at some point the economy just falls off a cliff too and you have a sort of a recession. So that is also weighing on investors' minds because they're saying, okay, you know, growth is cooling. You know, we, we know that for sure, but could it also fall off a cliff? Is that a legitimate fear? Could we be headed towards a recession here? Yes, 100%. And to be honest, I think people need to consider the fact that the only fix may be a recession. In other words, it's not just like a recession could maybe happen. It's that there could actually be a plan to effectively force it. Like nobody ever actually wants that to happen. But if things get crazy out of hand, you just have to hit the emergency brake so hard that a recession is the only outcome. Hmm. And that's that's kind of a big term. So I'm sure that is scary for a lot of people. But as you're saying, this is potentially what we're headed towards as a as a manufactured correction, I guess, then too. Yeah. But there's also a silver lining here that I think we need to understand, which could help counter this frustration that's that's out there, which is that for much of the pandemic, we've been living in a, an altered world, which I think we know in terms of medical issues and, and things of that sort. You know, it's not normal to have to have multiple lockdowns like we've had in Canada. The same is true of the economy and financial markets. You know, the S&P 500, which is the main 
stock market in the U.S. It's kind of the broadest measure of the American economy. Mm. It gained 26% last year. Like that is not normal. Like in normal times, a good gain would be like 7%. Okay. So drastically different we're talking than normal Yeah, times. drastically different. And so we've lost sense of what's normal. And again, you never want to say a recession will be good, but it could take a lot of the froth out of the market and it could help us kind of restore a benchmark or a baseline that is a sense of normalcy because right now not having that is made it really hard to decipher where we even are and tying that back to the markets. You know, we've had this huge sell off in a lot of stocks, but nobody actually knows whether to say, okay, they're now fairly priced and we can put money back into the market. Everyone is still sitting around wondering, um, I don't know, are they cheap? No one even knows how to define cheap anymore. What does being in a recession actually mean, Tim, for, for like the average person? How is that going to change their life? So I think what we don't quite appreciate because it's been so long since we've had one is that a recession typically leads to unemployment and heavy unemployment for a long period of time. What this could really mean is that it could affect housing value, because when you look at kind of housing values, there are effectively two major drivers. One are interest rate levels, because that affects how much your mortgage costs. And it's also unemployment. You know, as soon as people start losing their jobs, all of a sudden they realize I can't afford my home anymore. And we just haven't had that happen in Canada in a long time. So it could also change that market, which is already starting to cool because of higher interest rates. So just lastly then, Tim, how does this slide in stocks end? Is there going to be something drastic, as you say, in order to make this kind of come to a, an ending point? If you held me to it, I would say we're going to have a tough market crash. And I don't know if it'll be a long-lived crash, but I do think that this is going to be our type of dot-com crash. The betting money right now is, is kind of saying mid-next year. And that's factoring in the likes of kind of all this pent-up demand that we have to go do things, eventually, if the central bank has to do something drastic, and if people that eventually do start pulling back their spending, it could play out by about mid-2023. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through this today. Really great to be here. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Michal Stein edited this episode. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.